more than they do, but exactly. Well, Jerry, um, if people want to find out more about uh, Equal Voice Voting or learn more about your book, All Votes Matter, uh, where can they go to find out more? Uh, you know, they can go out to EqualVoiceVoting.com. It's all one word, EqualVoiceVoting.com. And I've got a lot of material out there and, it, you know, some links to like Amazon to buy the book. You can buy it there or at Powell's, uh, and not at the store, but online. Um, so the information is readily available. Great. Well, thanks. We've been talking today with Jerry Spriggs, uh, creator of Equal Voice Voting and author of the book, All Votes Matter. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for joining us today on KBU. Oh, thanks, Emma. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Oh, men, are you going to sing your part? Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Bring me a little water now. Bring me a little water, Sylvie. Every little once in a while. Oh, girls are going to drown you out unless you really sing out. Open up your mouths wide. Here we go. Hi, this is Pat Matheny. You're listening to Radio KBOO. Good morning, this is Disability Justice, an everyday pursuit and survival. Your host, John Griffiths. And Dina Wilder, board operator. Good morning, audience. In the studio with me today, would you please introduce yourself and your position in the city? Sure, my name is Nicole Sharon. I am the ADA Title II Disability Equity Manager for the city of Portland. Uh, and what does the ADA Title II manager of, of the city of Portland do? So I am essentially the city's ADA Title II compliance officer. Uh, I don't have any real, let's say legal power within the city, but I have administrative ability to both encourage and provide materials for bureaus to be accessible with ADA Title II. I also have the responsibility of the two ADA Title II reports that the DOJ expects local jurisdictions to have in order to meet their basic ADA Title II compliance. Those are a self-evaluation, which is an audit of all of the programs and services, and a transition plan, which is essentially a database of all of the physical barriers that we are aware of and a timeline as to when those barriers will be fixed. The equity portion of my job, unfortunately, has not uh, had a lot of emphasis because we are still really working on trying to get that basic compliance up and going at the city. 
basic compliance up and going at the city? What, what does that mean? I mean, what so, is the city lacking that it's not basically compliant with? Well, there there are a lot of things that we want the city to do better with. Um, and part of it is, as you guys might know, the city previous to the ballot measure, ballot measure that recently passed, had operated in a very siloed manner. So all of the different bureaus had a lot of autonomy under what I would I would almost call like five little mayors, right? All of those city commissioners had a lot of power over individual departments. So um, when someone in my position, and I've only been in the position since 2018, so relatively new, when people in my position kind of write the policy that says, hey, this is how you're going to be in compliance, we don't have the scope or ability to kind of drill that down in individual bureaus. So over the years, we're trying to build up the bureau's capacity to do better around ADA Title II compliance. Um, so I don't know if you guys are aware, but I believe it was in 2016, a group of individuals brought a lawsuit against the city for being out of compliance with curb cuts. And the city settled on that lawsuit by saying, yes, we will be coming into compliance in so many years, which is often the way the ADA works. Unfortunately, all of the amazing people that worked so hard to get the ADA put into law accepted it being put in as a complaint-based law. So there is no ADA police. If you're experiencing an ADA discrimination in the city of Portland or in any city, you can't just call the police and say, hey, this restaurant isn't letting me in with my service dog. You need to enforce the ADA. It's not how it works. The way the law is set up at the federal level is that the person experiencing the discrimination needs to make a complaint first to the business, then they can elevate it to, in the case of a restaurant, it wouldn't be the city of Portland, we don't have jurisdiction, but the Bureau of Labor and Industry in Oregon does, and the Department of Justice does federally. The person that came into the disability program in civic life after me was a woman named Joanne Johnson. And she had this amazing idea that we needed to do a survey, a demographic survey of everybody in Portland who experiences a disability because we know a lot of the, the positive changes that happened in the city of Portland around racial justice happened because the communities of color got together and they created this report around the disparate impacts that were faced facing but that people of color were facing in Portland. And so Joanne had wanted to kind of help the disability community in that same way by creating this like great report around what people in Portland experiencing disability were were facing when it came to unemployment, when it came to housing, all of this stuff. And so Joanne had gotten money from city council to do this project. And Alan at Real Choice Initiative and PSU were the consultants that were hired to help do that project. Unfortunately, the, the project lost a lot of steam when Joanne left 
PSU never created the report that they were supposed to. And in the summer last year, Civic Life's person in that position was unable to, to, to do it anymore. And, and now the city has actually, the disability program no longer is, exists. It, it got sunsetted uh, like a month ago, which is really unfortunate. My team took on the survey to first and foremost write a report so that we could, in our position, say to bureaus, when you are creating plans, when you are creating projects, you need to be using this data to address the impacts that this community is facing, just like you do with data around uh, race and, and economics. So we have this disability data now, we want you to use it. Um, unfortunately, when we took on the survey, the data was already three years old. And so uh, in the world of data, you really need that data to be as current as possible. So we actually, uh, my, I have a data scientist on my team, Dr. Bree Scrivener. They actually recently this summer did a refresh of the survey. So in January, we should have a whole bunch of new data to add to the data that was previously collected to really have a clear picture about the things that are impacting people with disabilities that live in Portland. And when you say refresh on, on the survey, did they use the template that Real Choice Initiative started with, or did they completely say, uh, you know, these questions and this time frame, uh, you know, we kind of need to change these questions and these questions because they're not relevant to this time, uh, you, 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 you know, this this year or... Yeah, you know so, so the data, the questions, we definitely tweaked some of the questions, not all of them, because we want we wanted to maintain the integrity of the data, right? So like we can't, if we're not asking some of the same questions, we don't get a clear picture about how the impacts have changed over the course of the four years now. I do think that what we did find was the way that the original survey team asked the questions, it made it very difficult to clean and disaggregate the data. So if you really want people to use your data, you need to be asking the questions in a way that you can then disaggregate that data in a way that is in alignment with uh, American Community Survey data, for one, because that has been the only previous data that people have to use around disability. So there was some tweaking, but I think we generally kept within the theme of all of the questions that we re-asked because it was really important to um, kind of demonstrate what's changing. And of course, the first survey was done, uh, it, I think the data was collected maybe pre-pandemic and then it wasn't like disaggregated until after. And so now the data we're collecting is post-pandemic, if you can say that we're post-pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any different correlations in that data or if we're seeing it get worse, we're seeing anything get better, what's changing? Um, we did actually, what was fantastic was, I believe that the first survey team had somewhere between three and 500 responses. We got about 4,000. 
So it's a much richer data set, which is really incredible. Um, and it will really, really help not just us in the city of Portland, but that data is available to everyone. So anybody interacting with any of the jurisdictions. So if you have advocates that are working to try to move stuff at Multnomah County, because I know myself included, there's been a caregiving crisis in the city of Portland for, I mean, three years now. So there's really good data that if advocates can use it and go to the county to say, look, look at our numbers, look at what we're facing. We need more support in these areas, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, trust me. I have many friends who are fully aware that there are, uh, is a caregiver crisis. Um, um, some of them have not been able to find help for almost 10 years now. Yeah, it's... It's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. Yes, true enough. And really, I mean, at the foundation, it's that we need to pay people more for the work that they're doing. We need to value, we need to value that work. And I think we also really need to try and connect people um, and train people how to do the work, right? We have a lot of folks that struggle to find work. So how can we bring those two things together? right to to train people to be caregivers it's a win-win if it's framed that way i personally and many other people have been advocating for the increase in uh you know not just their wages but also getting them the benefits that they're going to need to to maintain the job do the job and, and not burn out on the job and be well trained in in how to do the job and, you know, we keep on bringing it up and bringing it up to politicians over and over and over and over and over again. It doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Yeah, it's it's a it's really challenging. And I think that it's one of those situations where I hope the data will start to make a bigger impact, because I feel like being someone who's worked in government for the last 17 years, it's amazing how much we've moved to data-driven decision-making and we really don't have good data on disability. We do now because we're starting to collect that, right? But the census doesn't even take disability data. And then the only data that the, the federal government collects is through the American Community Survey. And that data is not disaggregated down by different type of disability or identity, right? So. In the ACS, they ask a question like, do you have challenge with uh, running an errand by yourself because of thinking, physical, visual, you know, like they lump everything together, which really doesn't tell us which disabilities are being impacted the most. And then when I look at that for like the city work, I wanna know the, the types of disability, I wanna drill down to the identities because I want to be able to start building in the accommodations that we know the community is going to need. So if we know that, for example, we're going to do a, a budget forum in a particular area of town, and we know that there's a larger than normal deaf community in that particular area of town, we should just have ASL interpreting. We shouldn't need someone to request that. We should be able to look at that data and we should be able to know what what's happening in a particular part of our city 
that we can make sure we're being inclusive without putting that burden back on the community. Yeah. Yeah. And the, all of the all of the things I'm talking about are on our website with the understanding, right? Like I certainly want to do what I can to to help the community be good advocates. What's unfortunate is that program in civic life, that's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to be this bridge between the community and the city to try to help build community capacity to engage and be included in the city. My role is really more at an administrative level being a compliance officer. So we're, we are trying to keep um, as much of the information we can available on the web, but without that position that can really be in the community, helping the community, we have a limited capacity. But by all means, you know, I, I would, if people need that data, they can certainly hit me up and I can direct them to it or they can look at our website because it's all there. You've been in this position, obviously, for like five years. What have you seen that's like really changed over the five years, you know, um, in some way, either positive or negative? And, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is that those three of those five years, we were in a really, you know, unprecedented time. So in 2020, I actually ended up spending the majority of that year working in our emergency command center because we felt like there was a lack in what the disability community needed in the pandemic and what the county was actually being able to supply. So a colleague of mine, Alan Delatore, he's like an aging specialist. He was also at the city in a aging position in planning that also got cut this year. So we're seeing a lot of cuts to these positions that are supposed to be supporting underrepresented community, which is unfortunate. In the time that Alan was there, we kind of asked to set up a little aging and disability section of the emergency command center. And within that, we were first and foremost trying to get PPE out to people with disabilities who had caregivers. Because really, if you remember at the beginning, there was nothing. And if you had a caregiver, you were really running the risk because, you know, each of you were exposing each other. So uh, we had the, the PPE. We also were getting folks food boxes. So we worked with Real Choice Initiative and other disability related organizations to get food boxes to folks. We also had, you know, on Allen's side, they were trying to do more like engagement for folks that were being really isolated because the pandemic. That was like the first really big hurdle that we faced. I think some of the positives that have come since I took on the position, we've expanded the team. So when I took it on, there was me and then I had a policy coordinator. And we both really pushed to get a digital access analyst. And so now we have someone at the city full-time who is helping the bureaus make sure all that the information that they put out to the community is accessible for screen readers. We also hired the data scientist, which as I talked about earlier, none of the stuff that we've been able to do with this community survey would have happened if we weren't able to hire that data scientist. We have also gotten the money to fund the self-evaluation. If you remember earlier, I talked about how a self-evaluation is an audit of all of the programs and services at the city. We have recently got a consultant. We're waiting for that contract to be signed off 
And we are starting the process of developing the survey for bureaus. And what we'll end up doing is we'll do each bureau on its own because we know that some of these questions that we need to ask aren't simple questions for bureaus. So what we're hoping to do is make sure they're all trained a little bit on like nuts and bolts around just understanding the ADA. And then we'll do what I kind of call a tabletop exercise where we'll bring together, you know, eight to 12 stakeholders in a bureau to sit down and go through those survey questions. And from that survey, we will essentially have a report that will say, you know, this is how the bureaus are doing. And here are the corrective actions we recommend that they take to get into better compliance. So I don't know, I don't know if that helps you understand, but it's a very Like, I feel like the community wants to believe they can just call me up and say, hey, this is wrong, fix it. And unfortunately, I don't have that power. God, I wish I did. What we can do is recommend corrective action, and then we can kind of go back and say, did you take it? If they didn't, we can, you know, go to their directors, or at this point, you can go to their their city council members and say, hey, we've told them this is what they need to do. They need to do it. You're the authority. What are you going to do? And of course, the the flip side of that is the community always can elevate concerns and complaints to the Bureau of Labor Industry and the Department of Justice. I know and I hear it all the time that people feel like they don't have the bandwidth to, you know, like complain over and over again. But unfortunately, I think what people don't understand is It's really the complaints that help set the precedent for policy. So, for example, with the the curb ramps, I mean, the city of Portland needed to be doing curb ramps since 1990 when the ADA became a law. And unfortunately, lots of different probably elected priorities were not curb cuts. And so they didn't get done at the, the rate they should have, which ended in this lawsuit that's costing PBOT a lot of money all at once when it could have been, you know, dissipated through the decades <laughs> that have proceeded when the ADA was put into law. We have another lawsuit now around sidewalks and the camping. And that's a really contentious issue because there are people with disabilities on both sides. As a wheelchair user, I might not be able to get to the max stop because of camps in the right of way. But we also know from data at the housing department that 70% of people experiencing houselessness are people with disabilities. And so it's like you're in a really tough situation. Yeah. Now, when you say bureaus, what you're talking about is city bureaus, like maybe the fire department or the police or um, something like um, only things. Only water. things that occur around in the city of Portland itself. Exactly. Do you have these bureaus and you're sending out mostly like just information to them, right? And, and it's it's just information you can't really say to the, like, let's just say, take the fire department, for example. You can't really say... Well, the fire station is not accessible. Make it accessible. You can send a bureau or you can send information out to the fire department and say your front door is not accessible for a person in this particular style of wheelchair. Please 
all you can do is say, please fix it, if you would, rather than fix it. There are, there's also within the provision of the Americans with Disability Act, what we call a programmatic workaround. So in the situation of let's, and I don't actually think any of the fire departments have doors that aren't accessible, but let's just imagine they do, right? So imagine we have a fire station that is open to the public and someone with an extra wide wheelchair can't get into that door. There's a lot of factors that we have to consider. And one of them is, is there a way to accommodate that person without spending a million dollars to re to change the door of the building? So what is it that they need to come in there? And can we do that in another location? Can we bring it to their house? Can we um, help them that way? But the way the process generally works is if the community triggers a complaint, I can then say to the Bureau, hey, you got a complaint. Here's how I would resolve it if I were you. I can't tell them they have to resolve it that way. That's not the way the city set up currently. We're hoping with the government change that there will be a little bit more authority for compliance with the civil rights Title VI and the ADA Title II. But without it, really, I, I can mostly tell them what I would do in the situation, tell them what the law wants them to do, and really, you know, have the, the hope and expectation that we all want to both do what's right for community and also mitigate the risk of a lawsuit. Um, and so generally under those circumstances, we can get a lot of stuff changed. We're a team of four people right now and there are 36 bureaus. It's a lot to try to uh, monitor and keep on track of. And so that's where we really, you know, I, I really want to kind of suggest to people in the community that are listening that, you know, the best way that we can know how you're being impacted is when you kind of file that complaint. Um, there's a complaint form on the city webpage that is like, here's how you complain. I do think what's often confusing for folks is we only have the ability to affect city of Portland bureaus, which are a lot of infrastructure bureaus. All of the social services, that happens at the county. Some of the parks are metro. You've got TriMet, which is, woo, I don't even think I should go into TriMet because there's a lot of things that I would love to change if I was over at TriMet uh, around how they interact with people with disabilities. You had asked me earlier about some of the things that we've been able to, to do that's kind of an improvement. One of those things that we've done is centralized the intake of requests and complaints through what the city calls 311. So the city created a 311 bureau and it's supposed to be like a central stop for all the kind of information and referral. So luckily, if you're not sure where you're supposed to be making that complaint, you can still call 311 or fill out the complaint form on 311 and they can refer it even if it's not into the a bureau at the city of Portland will refer you or give you the contact for the Bureau of Labor and Industry, for a Fair Housing Council, for Home Forward. 311. See, I hadn't heard of that. Okay. Something about it. Is there any way we can get the uh, website information and then uh, any contact information, any further contact information you'd like to get out on the air? 
Yeah. Um, so for the website, if you go to Portland Online, um, or you say City of Portland, and you say ADA Title II Disability Equity, you will get to our website. Um, and you know, I would just do it in Google. And then from there, we have a, like a navigation bar on the right of the screen that will tell you about resources, will tell you about the demographic survey, and you can kind of navigate to all of those things. If you're a person with a disability and are wanting to participate in a city event, if you're a person with a disability and are experiencing a block in the right of way, if you're experiencing an issue with the sidewalk cafe, there is a accommodation request form at the bottom of every single city of Portland webpage. At the bottom of every page, there's a little statement that says, you know, we comply with the Americans with Disability Act. And if you need an accommodation, click here and fill out that form. And then of course, if someone has a complaint, they can do city of Portland ADA complaint. The county also has a complaint form. And then my contact information, I'm gonna spell my name because I have a very unique spelling. So it's spelled N-I-C-K-O-L-E. And my last name is like Chevron gas without the V. So C-H-E-R-O-N. If you write that name into any Google, you will get my city info, you'll get my social media, you'll, I'm, I'm the only me. If you put me in the internet, you're gonna get everything about me. All right, thank you. You're welcome. That's the end of Disability Justice. Since we cannot be fully aware of everybody's difficulties within the community, we would really like it if you would send us your email disabilityjustice at kboo.org. Also, we're always looking for fun, inexpensive things to do out in the community. Go to disabilityjustice at kboo.org to contact us and give us your ideas. What's up, everyone? It's Greg McVicker, creator of Undercurrents, and this is KBOO 90.7 Portland. You can follow KBOO on all your social media platforms. Just look for KBOO on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Get access to our new content and news, as well as special offers and contests. Like and share your favorite community radio station, KBOO. This is Medea Benjamin. I hope you listen to Community Radio, KBOO 90.7. The following audio is a press conference held on Monday, October 30th, 2023 in Portland, Oregon, outside the office of Senator Jeff Merkley. The press conference was held by Portland Jews and Palestinians whose families in Israel and Gaza 
were directly impacted by the current escalation. They held the press conference following the release of a joint Palestinian-Jewish statement signed by a 